Hi, you're listening to the Onside Podcast, a podcast about innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is episode number 13. Today, I have Tim Rice, CEO of The Rounds, who is a recognized leader in the life sciences sector and devotes his time to modernizing how physicians consume and share crucial information. Tim leads a passionate team driven by the mantra that sharing knowledge saves lives. Through his role, Tim focuses on establishing a sustainable and scalable business model for the organization, helping the company's rapid growth while positively impacting the community. With over 20 years' experience in the healthcare industry, Tim has developed advanced skills in sales, medical education, marketing, and leadership roles. Tim, I'm so happy that you're here with us today. It's great having you on the Onside podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Alex. I appreciate the invite and look forward to chatting a little bit today. Awesome. Well, we gave our audience a little bit of your background, but as we always do, we like to give people the opportunity to give a little explanation about yourself. So why don't you give us a little intro about Tim? Who's Tim? Well, I'm a small town boy from Bridgewater. Grew up there just down along the river, so did a lot of water sports growing up and was really fortunate to spend a little bit of time with my grandfather, who was an entrepreneur in the Bridgewater area. Mm. So he owned a grocery store, a wholesale car dealership, a few things like that. But he passed away just before I turned five years old. And from there, I had the opportunity to hear stories about him and Mm. really kind of grew up in a very supportive family and eventually found my way into Halifax at Dalhousie and went to school there. And while I was there, I met someone at a bar, actually, and they told me that (laughs) I should go into pharmaceutical sales. Oh, okay. Yeah, at a bar, right? Okay. And uh, (laughs) so I didn't even know what that was. So I was in like my second or third year university. And um, I got to say something, Tim. Yeah. That sounds a bit nefarious when you say that, when you met somebody at a bar and they wanted you to go into pharmaceuticals. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I was there uh, corresponding with my roommate who was a bartender there. And these two individuals came up to the bar and they just started chatting and they're like, who are you? And I was like, well, no one. Like, I'm (laughs) at that point, I'm no one. I'm a university student. And so we just got chatting and one of them was a manager for a pharmaceutical company at the time. Mm. And she's like, you'd be a perfect fit for that industry. So she actually took me under her wing. I had dinner with her and she sort of said, this is what you need to do to become a pharmaceutical rep when you finish university. So uh, I followed those steps and right out of university, I became a pharmaceutical rep for Novartis. Ah, right. And I spent a 16-year career with Novartis. And then after 16 years, I got approached to potentially move into a new position, which is where I am now. Okay. So you're at Novartis. You decided to go become a pharmaceutical rep. How did you decide to sort of leave Novartis and then enter the rounds? We'll talk a little bit more about that. But was it, did you did you have an entrepreneurial spirit? You know, that's taken a big leap to do something different like that. It, it was a big leap. I, I kind of thought that I would grow within Novartis and really retire with that company. It was a, a big organization that supported my growth for years. But I was on my way back from a, a drive from Montreal. I had just finished doing the Ride for Life, which was mm-hmm. a, a charity ride that the company did that we rode our bikes from Toronto to Montreal. So I was driving back from that quite tired. 
And my phone rang as I was driving. And of course, you know, Bluetooth technology makes it very easy to pick up the phone. But it was a board member for a local Halifax company that said, I'm taking my dog out for a crap. And I thought of you. <laughs> so I wasn't sure if that was a good thing or not. Uh, but uh, he explained that he wanted me to come in and meet with the company and help them look at a business opportunity or a way to drive revenue with this organization. So took the call. Mm-hmm. And that really led to a ton of ideas as soon as I met with the group. And that was the change of the career. Okay. So you 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 took this leap of faith, basically. Absolutely. I I was in tears when I left Novartis. I, like oh. that, that was my family. So uh, yeah. it was really hard to leave. It was a job I knew well, mm-hmm. uh, the people I knew well. and mm-hmm. But I really felt that when I heard what they could do or what I thought I could bring to that company, mm-hmm. I knew that the industry that I was in had to change. Mm-hmm. And I really felt that I could make a bigger change by leaving and doing that than staying where I was. Yeah. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the rounds? Because that's where you are now. That's what we're sort of talking about here. And, you know, my my father was a doctor. I also have a, a brother who was a doctor. I have a lot of doctors and medical professionals in, in my family. And my father loved technology, loved all the newfangled things. And he also was involved in global health. So he would work in sub-Saharan Africa. He also worked in Asia, in Thailand, Uh and places like that. And I can only imagine that he would have been so excited about a tool similar to what the rounds provides. And I was really thinking about that. And I was like, ah, you know, just uh, just needed a little bit more time there. But for our audience who's not here with us, can you give a description of like what is the rounds? Like what is it that we're talking about here? Well, I think there's one interesting thing that you said there is that your father was really interested in technology, but you would have seen him with a pager and receiving faxes. Yes. And <laughs> that was really the standard of communication for healthcare providers for years. It was because of regulation and compliance, there was a lot of rules around how you can communicate. So what happened was the rounds was really designed to modernize how physicians could connect with each other. And Mm -hmm. it has to move from a local to more of a regional, national, and and eventually international level where now you can actually crowdsource information from anywhere around the world. Um, And we do a really good job here in Canada, and we're starting to expand Mm -hmm. to the U.S. But in essence, what the rounds is, it's an online collaboration platform where we actually connect communities of practice, which would, as an example, oncologists can... Uh, come into a community with another group of oncologists. And then it allows them to be able to connect on matters that are important to them to move the healthcare system forward, for them to learn, for them to be able to uh, treat their patients better, get access to resources. And so now we're doing that for thousands of physicians across Canada. We also have a sister platform uh, called QID.io for pharmacists, and that's a very active community for us as well. And that one we've actually already uh, moved into the U.S. market. Okay. And and how long did it take for you guys to develop these different uh, technology platforms? And like, how did that process happen? The company started late 2012. And so they had a few beta versions of this platform. It was really the, what we're using now is was kind of built and refined in about 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it took a few years to kind of beta test it with a few uh, specialty groups. And they partnered with the emergency medicine group here in Halifax, but mm-hmm. also nationally. And once we learned what the physicians needed as a communication platform, mm-hmm. it allowed us to add a few different types of resources and tools for them to use. And uh, so it's been, you know, eight years in the making and going on to our ninth year 
year now. So it's been around for a while, but we went through a fairly massive overhaul back in 2018 mm-hmm. uh, when mm-hmm. I took over as CEO where we were down to three people at the time. Oh, wow. And yeah. we had to start rebuilding. So it's really been kind of a, a rebuild over the last three years. Okay. Okay. So it took you uh, this period of time to sort of reboot the company in 2018 and move to the trajectory where you are now. And I know that, you know, you're, you've been working hard with your team. I hear you have a really great team. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've been focused on developing a scalable and sustainable business model? Because I think when the rounds came about in 2012 and then kind of this reboot again in 2018, you know, you're starting to really hone in on what's going to make sense for the company and for the sector, really. So tell us a little bit about how you're trying to do that. Yeah, I think every entrepreneur and every new business probably scrambles a lot in the beginning (laughs) because you're trying to find something that works. It's not easy. And not only are you trying to make your investors happy and the, or the shareholders, but you're also trying to create a really positive experience for the, the people that are using the product uh, and then ev- obviously your your client base. And mm-hmm. when I joined the company, it was really to try to drive that client base so we could keep the lights on for a little bit longer. <laughs> so the main priority we had to do was focus. So we had to, unfortunately, defocus a little bit from the pharmacy platform because we just didn't have enough people Mm -hmm. to to manage it. So we really focused on how can we deliver a really good product for our members on the rounds Mm -hmm. for our physician members, and then also drive that client base so that we could have revenue come in with very specific products that we were trying to sell rather than trying to sell everything. We were were kind of throwing things out there and hoping Mm -hmm. people would grasp at it. Mm -hmm. And once we focused on uh, moving into more of a recurring model where advertisers, if they came in, they would advertise month over month over month Mm -hmm. rather than just a month here, a month there. Mm-hmm. And then we also included educational events, which have mm. completely changed the way our platform works. And advertising is a really nice awareness campaign is very important for any kind of company to, to market their product. But the engagement is the most critical thing in healthcare. Physicians mm-hmm. learn from other physicians. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we brought in that peer interaction, engagements went up, membership went up, uh, the length of time that physicians stayed on the platform went mm. up. Uh, so it was a really good transformation as we went that route. Mm. Do you have um, any examples or stories you might be able to tell us about of a physician? I, I have some in my mind, you know, but are there any stories of uh, folks getting on the platform? Like I'm trying to help the audience um, imagine what it's like for a doctor or a clinician to kind of use the product and get involved with it. We actually had a really recent experience just in the last two weeks where we brought on four leading experts in healthcare, pharmacist, a pediatrician, an infectious disease physician, and a family physician, all talking about COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And we thought everyone was covid 19 out. We really didn't think that there would be a lot of demand for physicians to come on here and listen to this mm-hmm. topic. And... It exploded to the point where our site crashed for a few minutes. So we've never had that kind of spike of physicians and pharmacists coming onto our platform. And we had it mirrored in both networks. It was -hmm. was kind of a crazy uh, evening. And then the feedback that we had from physicians on how they accessed it, what they got out of it, the questions that came in for those physicians. So it really is coming into an atmosphere where, one, they're protected. We don't Mm -hmm. let the public, the patients, or the pharma companies that we work with in the network. Mm -hmm. And so they know when they're in there, they're with their peers and other trusted allies that they can actually speak their mind, ask the questions they want, not feel embarrassed, and feel safe Mm -hmm. in that space where they can have that back and forth communication. And I would say 
that's the experience that we're trying to draw on is the fact that you're in a safe environment. Come in here and chat with your peers and get the support that you need so you can provide better health care for your patients. Yeah, I can imagine uh, with all the sort of uh, privacy and confidentiality uh, around being a healthcare provider or uh, in that field, that that's a, a probably the need for really safe spaces is, is super important. Definitely. And, and you talk a little bit about kind of this idea, and I'm not sure if it's because of COVID or it's been impacted by COVID, but you talk about sort of on-demand mm-hmm. kind of uh, nature of things happening now with your products and services. What is that like or what's the impact of that in your business? Is it related to COVID-19? A little bit, but we were tracking in that direction before COVID-19 hit, but the education out to the healthcare community hadn't reached that point. Mm. So if you think of every other industry, whether it's finance or if it's travel or if it's food delivery, mm-hmm. everything can be accessed in, in a second and it'll be delivered to your door or you'll be able to talk to someone right away. Even cars, you order mm-hmm. a car and it's delivered to your house now rather than <laughs> actually going to a dealership. So healthcare has been kind of behind the ball primarily because regulatory wasn't allowing kind of this virtual kind of engagement. Mm -hmm. But that education changed rapidly where our platform had success because all of a sudden we got free education because doctors were being coached on how to do telehealth with their patients. Their patients were able to access them on demand, like you mm-hmm. said, and that was a new feature that wasn't available as regularly. It was, it's was it been around for a long time, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really seen as the preferred method. Mm-hmm. You know, They really encourage physicians to see patients in the clinic. Mm-hmm. So why can't we change that model for the healthcare industry for peer-to-peer interaction? Because mm-hmm. Physical conferences went away. Mm-hmm. Everything went virtual. Yeah. And then all the pharmaceutical reps were now grounded. They weren't allowed to even go to the physician's offices. So mm-hmm. we had to look at different ways of how can we engage this uh, mm-hmm. group in a meaningful way, but on the physician's terms. Mm-hmm. So rather than it being a push mechanism by you know, advertisers mm-hmm. or marketers <laughs> or manufacturers, how can we allow it to be a poll that they can actually access that information, that company, appear, resources, when they want it, how they want it, and um, by whom they want it from. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're creating now, which turn things on its head, evolve the market, have that people-to-people interaction, but also have it done in a way that's meaningful to the, the doctor when it matters most. Well, I definitely have to say, and I'm sure this was in the works before, but I am definitely appreciative of all of the the uh, the push or the move towards telehealth um, and some of the virtual care as a as a mom <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I laughs> who bet. has kids and I bet. getting them to the doctor and those kinds of things. So um, getting all of our uh, healthcare professionals up to speed about how to do that and do that well mm-hmm. um, and use the tools that are available uh, to, to make diagnoses in different ways, I think is only going to be um, helpful as we go forward. And especially for, for communities that are you know further afield or harder to reach, I think that that's going to be something that'll be really important. Yeah, rural physicians have been underserviced for years by everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, so the tools that they have at the hospital setting, what they've been able to do for care for patients in their area is has always been different. And I think it actually can be equalized a little bit now Mm -hmm. there, you know, you can create the same diagnostic tools that a physician now uses from an urban setting through telehealth that a rural physician can use through telehealth. And Mm -hmm. so I think we're going to see a huge boom in the resources for diagnosis and treatment happen over the next few years, more than ever before, that's done virtually versus done in the clinic. And how do you think about, um, you know, it's interesting, we're talking about kind of rural, and I had mentioned 
mentioned, you know, about my own father working so kind of internationally in, in very remote places in, in some cases. And, you know, we've seen this with COVID-19 with different populations having uh, worse outcomes related to health, whether it's, you know, higher incidence of diabetes or heart disease or things like that. Um, and we were just touching on kind of the rural issue of access to doctors and services and things like that. You know, and we've talked a little bit about the need for equity in healthcare. Is that something that you think about at the rounds? I know we talked a little bit about rural, but how else do you think about that? In a lot of ways. So even if you look at the female representation within healthcare and healthcare leadership roles, there's been a number of things that are trying to come to the forefront now. The CMA is very lucky to have Catherine Smart as the CMA president right now. She's bringing a bigger voice to the CMA and showing extreme leadership at this point. And hopefully we'll see that continue. And the other factor is discrimination that's happening within the Indigenous communities within the healthcare system, not just um, for patient care from the physician, but from the administrators, from the nurses, from the pharmacists, there needs to be an educational gap improvement of understanding how to work effectively and how to remove that discrimination within the healthcare system so that people do get quality care, regardless of who they are or where they live or what resources are in that area. That's super important. I think everyone's has that sort of, well, the interesting thing about COVID is that we're seeing these uh, effects or impacts kind of in real time Mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think that we had uh, seen before. So it's super interesting, in some cases, unfortunate, but it does give us this opportunity to dive down deep if Mm -hmm. people are willing to do that. Well, it's kind of what we're doing in the network for a lot of issues. And if we can actually shift the focus from the problems out there, but drive more awareness around it and the knowledge transfer from one person to another, that will lead to change. You know, everyone has to create a different experience for them to actually change their beliefs. So can we change the experience and the behaviors of people that are in those situations so that their beliefs about that can change? And so people will act differently. And I think it's it's not easy and it's not going to happen overnight. But I think if you do it in a meaningful way with effort, that you can achieve that. It's interesting you you say that at Onside we have um, a lot of things that we're you know we're focused on innovation driven entrepreneurship and one of the things that we're really interested in is how to cultivate that here in Nova Scotia and Atlantic Canada and you know how do you develop the mindset that's open to that kind of thinking and that shift and one of the first things that's important is creating that base of knowledge and translating knowledge in a way that is digestible so that people can make those shifts. You know, the mental models that are held in place are the things that prevent you from sort of moving forward. So I think that's interesting. You know, it's in healthcare and, and other aspects. So that's that's neat. That's neat. Absolutely. One of the other things that you had, um, we talked about a little bit before was around some of the support or changes or things that are necessary to help physicians and other healthcare professionals, both in terms of their mental health or physical health, or I guess I would say during COVID, their emotional health and stress levels. Do you have any ideas around how, I know that that's quite topical now. Is that is that something that you guys are focused on or have you thought about that? We've been focused on that for quite a while now, and not just for our membership and physicians, but we started to notice it internally. So Mm. we could see the impact of everyone working remotely, not having the same physical or even like face-to-face contact, Mm -hmm. you know, and to maintain everyone's spirits high and motivation (laughs) high and uh, working together. We exploded during the pandemic where we ended up hiring two-thirds of the company 
remotely without ever meeting them. Mm -hmm. And so things happen very rapidly that we, I think, internally realized it. And then when we start to dig in and talk to our physician members and see that suicide rates were going Mm. way up, depression, anxiety, detachment from their their, uh, sense of work uh, was becoming a major factor. And a lot of it was captured in 2017 by the CMA through a report. And then it was really starting to come to light during the pandemic that now it, it was escalating and accelerating even faster. So Mm -hmm. there was a very young physician in Quebec that committed suicide during that pandemic that really, I think, took a lot of people back, you know, some kids, a husband, Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. took their life because of the stresses that were coming through COVID-19. And so we actually initiated a physician health project called Resilience Rx, and we launched that uh, last December. And mm-hmm. now we've been working with thought leaders within that space. We're bringing in resources on our platform. We're opening up the door for physicians to remove that stigma mm-hmm. of mental health within the healthcare community. But there also has to be changes within the healthcare ecosystem because, you know, a physician may not be able to get insurance if they actually claim mental health mm-hmm. uh, under any kind of on their forms or or whatever the registration. So they have to be careful on how they do that. So there has to be some evolution in that so that physicians are comfortable opening it up and sharing their experiences and making sure they get the help that they need. So, you know, some of these bad things don't happen. Just even hearing that, I'm like, that just doesn't even make sense to me. I mean, if you're a doctor or nurse, especially now in COVID and you're stressed out, and the amount of time and energy that the system puts in to cultivate doctors if you were not able to get the supports or services that you need, or I mean, right now it's hard to get time off, but that you could be penalized and face repercussions in your career, that's not good for anyone. That's not good for the doctor. It's not good for us. It's not good for patients. No. But yeah. I mean, I, I go back to how selfish I was when I even spoke to doctors as a pharmaceutical rep. Mm. I was always going to them for advice. You know, you, you never really saw them as the patient. You saw them as the healer. And mm-hmm. I think everyone puts them on that pedestal that they should be okay. They're a doctor. They should be able to figure that out on their own. Mm-hmm. Why would a doctor need a doctor? Mm-hmm. And they do. They're, mm-hmm. they're people too. And, you know, I've been around the healthcare system since 2001. So I've seen, I've known a lot of physicians. I've become close to a lot of our members on our site even. And they're people. And, you know, of, of course, they're highly intelligent, very capable, like they're amazing individuals. But at the end of the day, everyone has their own problems. And if they don't have the resources, nor the ability or comfort to go get help, uh, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, we have a lot to work on there. <laughs> so, um, you know, as we're kind of thinking about the future. So we're, I don't I can't believe COVID is still going on, but this is the world that we live in and it's probably going to be for, you know, a while longer. And so I think everyone has sort of settled in to, I don't even want to call it the new normal. It's just the way it is. You know, what do you think the landscape looks like for Canada's pharmaceutical industry or our uh, healthcare sector? How, how does that look to you? And, and what role do you think the rounds is going to play as the future unfolds? It's a good question. I, I, the pharmaceutical industry is definitely scrambling a little bit now because their business model has completely changed. The way they used to engage with healthcare providers of the typical face-to-face engagements mm-hmm. that that happened, and even the healthcare community was kind of was shifting because they always would go to a medical conference and it would be face-to-face. That's how they would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, even going to rounds at your local hospital, mm-hmm. that's what physicians were doing. So everyone is trying to figure out how it's actually going to work 
in kind of, let's call mm-hmm. it the new normal, if we, <laughs> if we have to, there'll always be a need for that person-to-person interaction. You can learn from someone else much faster than just doing your own research. Mm-hmm. And so we still need to be able to bridge that. It's just finding the right way to do it and kind of creating that hybrid model, whether mm-hmm. you can do it uh, remotely, virtually, or face-to-face when when absolutely necessary. But I think The nice thing with Canada is that we've always been at the forefront of the research side for Mm -hmm. the pharmaceutical industry. So we definitely deliver above our weight class when it comes to research, if you look at the size Mm -hmm. or the amount of research Canada does within that space. And now you're even seeing some of these companies that are coming up with either treatments or solutions or preventions for obviously Mm COVID-19, but but other uh, conditions as well, where you're going to see that research ramp up, which is a really good sign for Canada to get involved. And we saw the supply issue and Canada scramble realizing that we shifted our own manufacturing facilities Mm -hmm. for pharma outside of Canada and Mm. really came back to bite us a little (laughs) bit. So I think now you're seeing the focus on ensuring that we can actually create our own supply Mm -hmm. uh, in the industry as well, which is, I think, a positive thing for Canada. Yeah. When we saw kind of... Well, it wasn't a problem before. You know, the, the world was open, borders were open, and and uh, you, when you had access to things, it, it, no one foresaw this, or no, maybe it's... a few people did, but you always thought there was a way around it. And I can't think of a time in history recently, you know, where borders were completely shut down and people and goods just were not moving. Yeah, so, stopped, stopped quickly. Just and... Then you realize how your, where your weaknesses are. Yeah. Well, it's funny you talk about kind of that in-person time and conferences and things like that. So my, I don't want to call him my brother, but uh, I definitely know he's a doctor and I definitely know that uh, uh, he's gotten to go to Hawaii and, you know, some other nice places that doctors like to go to for those special conferences. To we get all the, like to go there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> to get the FaceTime. So hopefully that isn't gone for good and the, the hybrid and the new way of thinking through that. But there's definitely I think there's definitely a lot of advantages that we can kind of take with us as we sort of move forward. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge even before that, you know, I had issues with for years is that you only have anywhere from 5%, maybe less of the physicians actually attend the live physical conferences before. Mm. And so you're only educating five of the you know, 5% on advances that are happening within that space, where if you have this virtual or hybrid Mm -hmm. model, now all of a sudden, everyone has the same accessibility to that information. Mm -hmm. And with that, obviously, that should help or improve Mm -hmm. care. I mean, if if you can educate more people and make them aware of what's coming down the pipe, then all the better. So I think the advantages are, are certainly there now more than ever. And it'll be very interesting to see how much it becomes a hybrid or virtual only or face-to-face only down the road because I haven't been to any conferences in the last little while. I went to Vegas in August for a conference, but every single event was streamed to mm-hmm. anyone who wants to attend from around the world. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to be there. And mm-hmm. the dynamic of the event does change, does have a bit of a different feeling. But at least you know that if people do want that information, they're going to be able to get it. Yeah. I went to, well, we hosted uh, Onset, our first kind of uh, hybrid event with uh, some folks we work with at, at MIT at the end of September, and it was a hybrid event. So we had our teams kind of there in person. We had some faculty remote, some in person. It was very interesting, but I think it was a, a good dynamic and we had that you know a little bit of camaraderie and that kind of thing so and delivery of the content and the good thing about it is you could go back later so if you miss something or you were chatting with your neighbor you can go back and you know review the things that you missed so yeah we're certainly getting better at it because we we have 
uh, some of our employees remote. And so we're balancing this every day just in our own company. But after a while, you do get used to having a few people on the screen, a few people in the room, <laughs> and you, you make it work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have just maybe one more question for you, which is something we often ask many of our guests. And that really is around innovation-driven entrepreneurship. So at Onsite, we're focused on working with companies and fostering this kind of innovation-driven entrepreneurship as a driver for economic and social change. So really excited about talking with companies like yours and other really exciting companies that we have around here. And I'm just wondering, like, from your own point of view, your own definition, like, what is innovation-driven entrepreneurship? What does that mean to you? Well, one, we have to have innovation to move forward. I mean, I was talking to someone a little bit before, or as soon after I joined this company, and they were looking at um, starting a company to train sales reps to how to go sell in the field. And this is just before the pandemic. So can you imagine what what the, what would come of that now? I mean, that's that's that'd be a challenge. And you know, so we have to evolve with what's happening currently. Uh, we have to be ready to pivot, and we have to be ready to iterate all the time. And we've iterated a lot in the, during the pandemic, where potentially our business model is going to change a little bit at our company mm-hmm. or what we do uh, is going to evolve um, with the membership that we have and the, the clients that we have. But for us to be successful, especially here in the Maritimes, we are now competitive with anyone around the world because I no longer have to go to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I no longer have to go to Boston to have the same advantages as someone that might be in San Francisco or Boston because we're all doing the Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. You know, So mm-hmm. we're meeting with these, these groups and getting our innovations out in front of an audience that we may not have had that same competitive edge before mm-hmm. or maybe competitive – non-edge, I guess. So, you know, because a lot of the times you thought that that personal interaction would be the most important. Um, but now we can actually highlight what we're able to build here. And it doesn't matter where that we're that we're here in Halifax. Mm-hmm. Halifax is now becoming a great little tech hub. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many great innovations coming here. The startup community is a very strong one and growing. And I think there's a ton of examples of some major companies like Interhive, uh, ex- mm-hmm. as an example, uh, recently um, making it really big. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's exciting to see. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I thank you so much for that. Uh, One last little question. I'm always uh, curious about this one as well. Do you think that becoming an entrepreneur, is is that a a nurture or a nature kind of thing? I've had totally different responses from people. What's your take on it? Yeah, you know, everyone's going to say it's a little bit of both. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I think for me, I think there's a little bit of nurture on my more nurture than nature. Mm. Um, now I come from a, a, a family like my grandfather was an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. my mom was an entrepreneur, my brother's an entrepreneur locally, mm-hmm. my wife's husband's an entrepreneur. <laughs> so there's been a lot of it around, but I think it's the support system that I had throughout. That you know when I was young, you know my mother would say that I I remind her of her father, oh, and nice. you know hear the the traits and the qualities that he possessed. And even when I was really young, I could actually tell that he was in the room. You mm-hmm. could you could just feel it. So mm-hmm. when I went to his wholesale and I was were just like playing with dinky cards mm-hmm. in in his <laughs> in his wholesale, you could tell that when people were around him that he was the leader of that group and mm-hmm. I think I always saw leadership more than entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and I think I always love leadership because of the accountability and responsibility you have. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what it's led is I was always I would say push to be responsible for what I did and accountable mm-hmm. for what I did mm-hmm. and the ability to be a leader to bring others up. And mm-hmm. um, that's what I think I strive to do in this role. And I really felt it was because of the way, you know, my parents raised me and mm-hmm. the support systems I had around me to to make that happen. 
Whether that's a nature thing, <laughs> I don't know. But I, I really felt that I was nurtured um, mm. to to have that potential. I like that. I like that. So it's a little bit of a hybrid. I like it. I like it. Well, Tim, I want to thank you so much for joining us today at the Onside Podcast. It was really great to have you. If folks want to learn more about the rounds or about you, what's the best way that people can find out about your company? Yeah, go to therounds.com. There's lots of ways to hunt us down all through our different social media channels or find out more about the company. If you're in healthcare and want to chat, uh, there's lots of ways to, to reach out to us and we can help you out. Okay, that sounds great. And I just want to thank our audience for tuning in today. Thanks so much for listening. And to learn more about Onside, you can follow us at Onside Now. Thanks so much.